It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question, veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer. Also on podcasts, Facebook, and also YouTube. You can also go to www.talklawradio.com and search the archives, previous episodes. So today we're going to be talking about uh, ski accidents, negligence, and personal injury. But first, I have to tell you that uh, nothing we talk about today is legal advice. Because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of your case, and laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show today, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Before we get started talking about the law, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Please forgive us for our sins, for making mistakes, for doing the wrong thing, and for failing to follow your will. Please help Nathan Surprise, Angela Barker, and me give good information about personal injury and negligence law today. Help us to use the gifts and talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Today we're talking about personal injury, inherently dangerous recreational activities, negligence, comparative negligence, and emotional distress. Attorney Nathan Surprise and legal nurse consultant Angela Barker and I will talk about what Gwyneth Paltrow probably learned and what we should also learn from the lawsuit and trial against her because of a ski collision. Number one, you could be sued for negligence. You don't have to be a Hollywood actress to be a target. Perceived wealth makes you a target, and it's the perception that matters, not the reality that you aren't that wealthy. If the lawsuit against you is frivolous, you will still need to defend yourself, and it might be expensive. The resources necessary to win might include experts, medical records, depositions, a jury trial that takes up significant time. And we'll also talk about what the plaintiff and us should have learned, such as once in a lawsuit the opposing party can dig into your personal life, questioning your family and friends, and digging into your medical records. And if you're hurt while engaged in an inherently dangerous activity, you might not recover the financial damages you suffer if you assumed that risk. And if you sue someone and you lose, you might be responsible for their outrageous attorney's fees. So again, uh, Nathan Surprise, uh, attorney and legal nurse consultant Angela Barker are here. And so I'd like to introduce Nathan 
Nathan Surprise is a native Texan who graduated from Texas A&M University with a Bachelor of Arts degree and Texas A&M University School of Law with a degree, a Juris Doctorate degree. While in law school, Nathan was a member of the Texas A&M Journal of Property Law and gained experience in several areas of the law from his clerkship at the Texas A&M University System Office of Attorney of General Counsel. After graduating from law school, Nathan began his career practicing general litigation, where he represented clients in lawsuits involving personal injury, real estate, contracts, and insurance. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be on here. I really appreciate the opportunity. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I was born and raised in Clear Lake, Houston, and I went to Clear Lake High School, and then I went to A&M for undergrad, just like you said. And after undergrad, I went to law school at A&M in Fort Worth. Some people don't know that A&M has a law school, but they bought Texas Wesleyan Law School in 2013, I believe. And so I was one of the uh, new graduating classes. And ever since then, Texas a Law School has gone up in the rankings. The university has committed a lot of resources to law school. And the law school has had tremendous growth since then. They're going to be opening a new uh, campus in downtown Fort Worth here pretty soon. And so there's a pretty good trajectory for the law school going forward. Anyone interested in applying to law school, highly recommend that you apply to A&M, one of the best programs in the state. And so after law school, I ended up working at a firm in Amarillo. It was a general civil litigation practice, handling all kinds of different cases, real estate, contracts, businesses suing businesses over construction disputes, even an adverse possession case, which was interesting to see in real life. I was there for about a year, and then I returned to Houston, where I worked at Daspit Law Firm for about three and a half years, doing exclusively personal injury matters. And so today, I'm a personal injury attorney. I represent plaintiffs who are injured because of car accidents, slip and fall incidents, workplace injury incidents, pretty much the full gamut of personal injury lawsuits. Great. Thank you for saying all of that. That's a lot of detail, especially your uh, recommendation about Texas A&M Law School. That's awesome. Appreciate it. So uh, you were introduced to me by Angela Barker. Angela has been on the show two other times. Welcome back. Thank you. For those who are just now joining us or who might not have uh, listened or or watched those episodes, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your background. Okay. So I was born and raised uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, San Benito. Uh, I... uh, started my nursing, uh, or I went to UT Pan American for my nursing. I have a BSN. Uh, I started my career in the pediatric ICU at Valley Baptist, and then I transitioned to Maxim Healthcare. So it's a national company uh, where we did uh, private duty nursing. Uh, we took care of patients, adult and pediatric patients in the home. Uh, they were chronically ill. Some had uh, feeding tubes, uh, uh, they had tracheostomies for airway management and some were on life support. So we were responsible for uh, providing them with nursing care, mm-hmm. uh, anywhere from eight hours to 24-7 care. So I was helping. Uh, I would make sure that the nurses were trained and competent to take care of the patients. I was also the administrator. So I was in charge of uh, of uh, 
investigating any allegations of abuse, neglect, or exploitation. So if there was an allegation, it was my responsibility to go through the medical record, to uh, review it. Uh, I'd have to make sure the patient was safe. We'd have to do an assessment of the patient, interview both parties, and then I would uh, have to present my findings to our legal department as well as our HR, and then we'd decide from there how to move forward. So um, at times it was disciplinary action, sometimes it was termination and reporting to the board. Mm -hmm. Um, So just depending on if there was merit uh, to the allegation. And is that what got you interested in combining nursing with the law? Yes. Um, And also I, I, I was the key person like for audits. Uh, So we were um, deemed status. So we were at the highest level of accreditation and a lot of time we were a national company. And so the auditors would typically call me and ask me, um, so in Texas, you know, what's the regulation for this? And I Mm -hmm. would, you know, provide them with that. And so I've always liked the rules, regs, uh, and then also understanding, uh, fully understanding, um, before making a decision. So just trying to look at the facts, what do the facts say? Um, instead of the opinion. So, right. Cool. Well, we're going to have to take a break in just another minute, but I want to introduce uh, again what we're talking about today. Um, the ski trial uh, that was interesting to me between uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and the optometrist. Uh, Nathan, what was his name? Terry Sanderson. Terry Sanderson. I, I just remember him as the optometrist. I don't know why that was so interesting to people on the internet, but they always mention that that's what he did for a living. Uh, Anyway, we're going to focus on that case as an an example of personal injury law, and uh, Angela will talk about how digging into his uh, medical record and having a battle of the experts uh, was a big part of the case. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, KLUP, and also on TalkLawRadio.com, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you can find me, podcasts, uh, listen up. And if you have suggestions for the show, you can email me at host at TalkLawRadio.com, H-O-S-T at TalkLawRadio.com. Let me know what's on your mind. And maybe we'll talk about the legal issues that you're concerned about. But now we're going to talk about personal injury law. 
and the trial between Terry Sanderson and Gwyneth Paltrow uh, over a ski accident. Nathan, how would you uh, categorize this type of case? So I personally never handled a case like this before. Of course, there's not much skiing here in Texas, but in Utah, Colorado, there's a bunch of skiing. And so, of course, people have always wondered is if I hit someone while I'm skiing, could I be sued for it? And what this case shows is that, yes, these cases do happen. Of course, Gwyneth Paltrow is a celebrity. And so more likely going to be sued than the average person. But another consideration would be, if an average person hits the back of me and I break four of my ribs like Terry Sanderson, could I have a potential claim against the other steer? Of course, you can sue apparently in Utah if you are injured through the negligence of someone else while they are skiing. And just like if you're driving down a road and there is a car in front of you, if you don't timely apply your brakes, control your vehicle speed and rear end that car in front of you, you could be sued for a rear end car collision. That's exactly what was alleged by Terry Sanderson against Gwyneth Paltrow is that he's skiing. And then all of a sudden she's coming down the hill behind him. She's not paying attention. She's not controlling her speed and she collides into the back of him. And I think what I read is that your homeowner's insurance could potentially be a source of recovery or a potential source of paying out for your negligence in a case like this. Oh yeah. That's interesting. I I'd forgotten about that, that, um, your homeowner's insurance can uh, can uh, pay if you're negligent in some way. So this is a uh, negligence-type case, right? And so exactly. How, would, how do you define negligence? So negligence, the legal terminology, it has these four elements, which would be duty, breach, causation, and harm. And typically what that means in just general talk is that were you at fault? for causing an injury. And by at fault, of course, it's easiest in a car accident situation. If you run a red light and cause a collision, then you were negligent. If you fail to yield the right of way and cause a collision, you're negligent. If you change lanes when unsafe and go into the other driver's lane and cause a collision, you are negligent. And so pretty much negligence just means doing what an ordinary person would not have done. Okay, let me give a public service announcement to the audience. Today we're talking about the optometrist who sued Gwyneth Paltrow, alleging she was not skiing as an ordinary, prudent person, that she negligently skied into him, causing him injury. If you're sued for crashing into the rear end of a motor vehicle in front of you, it will be under the legal theory of negligence, that is, for not driving like an ordinary, prudent person. If you act with ordinary prudence, God willing, hopefully, You'll avoid lawsuits based against based against you based on legal negligence. So um, we found the pleadings for uh, Terry Sanderson and Gwyneth Paltrow. And so what what happened after he filed suit? So after Terry Sanderson filed suit, what eventually ended up happening is that Gwyneth Paltrow filed a counterclaim against them. And so there are situations where, not necessarily here, but in other cases, where both sides could be suing each other over the same exact situation, and each side is blaming the other side for being negligent, for being responsible for causing the harm. And so, of course, Terry Sanderson, he sued Gwyneth Paltrow, eventually she turned around and sued him. And then the question before the jury was, who is at fault for causing the skate collision? 
Angela, after you read these pleadings, what came to your mind? What was your first reaction after reading all, all the, the facts and allegations? Um, I definitely saw a difference between Gwyneth Paltrow and with Terry Sanderson. So his was more um, accusations, not really fact-based, whereas hers uh, went through the medical record and uh, determined, you know, that he had previous uh, diagnoses. He had issues with his vision. Um, there was no validity to the uh, traumatic brain injury. So mm-hmm. definitely um, they did their due diligence, I would say, with uh, looking through the medical record just to see, you know, digging deep uh, to see, okay, is there validity behind this? So um, definitely with the medical record, it's important to develop that baseline so how were they prior to the accident versus how were they after the accident, like any medical records? Um, and also was there um, a, a impact, uh, you know, to their, um, was there a negative impact, you mm-hmm. know, to their living standards? And right. um, so looking at taking all that into account. Yeah. So Nathan, in a, in a case where the medical evidence is important, can you just get all the medical records from the hospital, put it in a box and and put it in front of the judge or the jury? Or is there a lot more to it than that? So medical records in and of themselves are generally admissible as an exception to hearsay because it's a business record, so to speak. And so getting the medical records into evidence is pretty easy to do. The next question is, can you prove up any subsequent medical treatment that was performed? and the reasonableness of the medical billing that was charged. And so it's more so proving up the treatment and the charge. That's the harder part, but getting the records themselves into evidence is pretty easy to do. So if you were going to present all of this medical evidence with medical terminology and medical acronyms, it's probably not something that the general public would be would have an easy time understanding, though, right, Angela? That's correct. Um, it you would definitely need to lean on a, an expert in that area. Um, you know, somebody that has healthcare experience. You know, registered nurses. Um, also, I know they lean on physicians as well in that area of expertise, um, just to be able to break it down, uh, bring it down uh, to layperson level, mm-hmm. uh, so that they can fully understand, or you know, to the best of their ability, the medical aspects of the case, and then. To Determine the best strategy uh, for the case because if they don't understand the medical, then it might be it's going to be a lot harder to to determine that. I've seen medical records with handwriting. Do they still do that? <laughs> I mean, could they even read what was written? Uh, it's uh, it's challenging at times, definitely. But um, as nurses, we've uh, gotten. Uh, really good at trying to decipher uh, doctors, uh, you know, orders, Mm -hmm. going through the orders and trying to decipher what they wrote. And so um, we have a lot more experience doing that. So they have electronic medical records now, but do you still see handwriting? I do. Okay. All right. So in addition to the medical evidence that both sides had a long list of experts, right? And so what are some issues that trial attorneys have when bringing in experts? So when it comes to experts for the plaintiff, you're going to want to bring one of the treating physicians. And so 
in the context of this case, it could be an emergency room physician that treated uh, Mr. Sanderson at the hospital where they diagnosed him with four broken ribs and a concussion. Of course, you'd want to bring that expert to testify live before the jury just to explain exactly what are in those medical records to back up what Terry Sanderson was saying about the injuries he sustained immediately after the collision. And then you would also want to have to counteract what the defense did here is a biomechanical Mm -hmm. expert. And those experts are really effective before the jury. In this case, it was about who hit the back of the other person, right? Who Mm -hmm. collided into the back of the other person because both sides were saying the complete opposite. Terry Sanderson said, when a Paltrow collided into the back of him, when a Paltrow said, no, that's incorrect. Terry Sanderson collided into the back of me. And so they really got into the nitty gritty about, well, after the impact took place, what happened to your skis? What happened to your hands? How did you fall? And the biomedical experts got into that to either confirm or say, no, that's actually inconsistent with what would have happened based on what the testimony was. And so those biomechanical experts, it looks like when a Paltrow's expert won that argument there, he was mm-hmm. pretty effective. He was pretty persuasive. I listened to some of his testimony and I saw why the jury really thought him to be credible. Do these experts volunteer their time to do this or do they have to be paid? All experts are going to be paid if they testify at trial or do a deposition before trial. They're going to be paid one way or the other. The law looks at it from the standpoint of, especially if you retain the expert, then you're definitely going to have to pay for that expert's time. Mm -hmm. If it's a treating physician, you usually have to pay for the expert's time too. And so the experts are going to be compensated. And of course, both attorneys like to spend a lot of time talking about, well, how much are you being paid? Have you worked with this law firm before? How many other cases has you helped them with to try to discredit the credibility of the expert? Yeah, but it's common at the same time. Yes, every case, the expert is going to be compensated, as you would expect. Yeah, and they they had a long list, like you were saying, Angela, that uh, every specialized type of doctor had to testify because uh, Dr. Sanderson said that uh, he had a concussion and that it changed his whole life. Mm -hmm. And so they both had a neurologist, and his neurologist said, yes, his life was changed, and the the defense said no it wasn't and so what was it about the the trial testimony that that weighed in favor of Gwyneth Paltrow on on the issue of it negatively changed his life what what impressed you that thought well it doesn't really sound like it changed his life well I saw um I actually saw um where they interviewed the one of the jurors, and she said that um, based on the social media of all his trips, afterwards she was like, I, I don't really see a negative impact on his life. You know, he went zip lining, and he did all kinds of stuff, and um, I've dealt with uh, patients that have suffered a traumatic brain injury, and I've seen the negative impacts that it has in their life. It changed their behavior. You know, they were independent prior, and now they have to have supervision, so... Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't appear to have, um, you know, a negative impact yeah. uh, like most of them do. And what, what, what do you think, uh, Nathan? What, was, what did you see there? Yeah, so there was, of course, this dispute about the traumatic brain injury. And whenever that's in dispute, it's pretty hard for the other side to conclusively win it or disprove the other. There's a back and forth. Both sides can make pretty strong arguments about a traumatic brain injury. It's not that well-defined. And so it's really difficult 
for one side to conclusively prove it or one side to conclusively disprove it. But what it looked like is that Gwyneth Paltrow's expert pretty much said that Mr. Sanderson's you know, mental state had already been deteriorating and that even if this incident hadn't happened, that this was consistent with the trajectory that would have otherwise have taken place. Of course, Mr. Sanders' expert said, no, he changed. This is how he's different. Mm -hmm. Memory, concentration, irritability, that all changed. That all became much worse. And just because you have problems beforehand, that doesn't mean that you can't be injured because of an incident or things cannot be aggravated or made worse. You could have pre-existing conditions, but they can be made worse and you can still recover for the part of it that's made worse. Okay. So in law school, I learned that was the eggs, eggshell skull rule. <laughs> exactly. Well, eggshell plaintiff. Well, there you go. We got to take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about how the jury would view all of this and how ultimately they get to weigh the evidence and come to a conclusion. And we'll talk about sinners and saints, and then we'll close out the show with a legacy. So stay tuned. Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer with uh, Nathan Surprise, attorney in Houston, and legal nurse consultant Angela Barker. We've been talking about negligence, personal injury, and the lawsuit between uh, Terry Sanderson and Gwyneth Paltrow. But this is our third segment, so that's the Sinners and Saints segment. Okay, so I came up with the Sinners and Saints segment because uh, I remembered Martin Luther, the theologian from the 1570s. Uh, he's the one who nailed his thesis to the church door. He says, we're all sinners and saints. And so I got the idea to talk about some sinner of the week and some saint of the week. And this week I want to talk about how... Um, Daniel Perry was found guilty of murder in Travis County for killing the protester named uh, Garrett Foster in downtown Austin. Now, uh, Daniel Perry, he did argue self-defense that Garrett Foster pointed a gun at him first, um, but the jury ultimately found that the facts showed that Daniel Perry uh, had maybe other reasons for being there. And uh, so they didn't believe his self-defense theory. And our saint for the week, I thought we'd talk about Jesus because it's Easter. And so uh, Jesus is the ultimate saint. He's uh, God's son, our Savior and Lord. And because of his sacrifice on Good Friday yesterday, many moons ago, uh, we are saved and justified through his sacrifice. And because he uh, rose again, came back to life, 
uh, we are saved from sin, death, and the devil. And so that makes him the ultimate saint. Amen. Okay, what I wanted to say about the ski trial after Nathan explained um, everything that the the jury had to consider is I think they could have gone either way with this. And so the the evidence and and the likability of the person on the stand, do you think that played a factor, Nathan? Absolutely. Likeability is a huge part of every personal injury case. If the plaintiff is very likable, it's a much easier case for the plaintiff's attorney to make. If for some reason the plaintiff isn't that likable, for whatever reason, it's a much harder case. Because at the end of the day, you have to get the jury to side with you. You want the jury to be sympathetic with the plaintiff, with your client. You want them to see it the way your client does, the way you see the case. And if your client is likable, it makes a world of difference. And same thing for the attorney, right? Exactly. How the attorney presents themselves, what kind of arguments they make, how professional they are, how silly they may be in certain situations, as I saw in this trial, that can also make a difference and can negatively impact your client's case as well. So what did you see that was silly? I don't think I saw that part. Terry Sanderson's attorney, I think she went out of her way to call herself a country attorney and made some kind of silly arguments that I think may have just made the situation less serious than otherwise could have been. Okay. And some people in the media focused on whether this was going to be good or bad for Gwyneth Paltrow. So she was sort of on trial herself, don't you think? Yes. (laughs) And whether she was going to be a likable witness. Uh, Did you catch any of her testimony? I did. You did, Angela? Yes. So what what impressed you about it? Um, She always stayed calm, and she, even when the attorney was asking her, uh, she was, I don't know, I felt like at times she was kind of trying to provoke, uh, you know, or uh, throw her off, and she just kind of, you know, calmly stayed calm. She just answered the question, and um, so I I think she... Oh, Sanderson's attorney was trying to provoke her to to become angry or something. Yes, and she was uh, in some of the testimony. And so I just thought she was very cool, calm, and collected. And so um, I think that helped as well. I think what mm-hmm. helped was probably that she wasn't arrogant. hmm Yeah. Okay. So anything else that impressed you about the case, Nathan? I thought that was interesting just to see a case where both sides are arguing the complete opposite of what the other side is arguing, because then that's when it really comes down to who the jury believes is the most credible, who's telling the truth. I mean, you can't dispute that Terry Sanderson broke four ribs. That's Mm -hmm. pretty serious. No one wants to break four ribs. And so there was a hard enough impact to break four of his ribs. No one's disputing that. Just a question of who is at fault. And like you said, it could have gone either way. There may be another eight-person jury, as it was in Utah, that if they had been seated in that case, maybe they would have sided with Terry Sanderson. Maybe they would have split the liability percentages. could be 50-50, 75-25%. In that situation, of course, he could recover. In Utah, as I understand it, you can't be 50% or more at fault. But if you're 49% at fault, then you can recover the 51% that the other side owes you. It's a little different than Texas, where mm-hmm. in Texas, tie goes to the plaintiff. And so if both are 50% at fault in Texas, it would go to the plaintiff in that situation. But this was a case where they found that Terry Sanderson was 100% at fault. And Gwyneth Paltrow, all she asked for was a dollar in damages, and that's what they gave her. 
But she did also ask for attorney's fees, which mm-hmm. is probably going to be a million dollars. <laughs> but what I would say there, I think there's a misconception about whether she's going to be able to recover her attorney's fees from Terry Sanderson. If you look at the law, what it says is that the, the judge, not the jury, the judge makes this determination that Terry Sanderson's case was brought in bad faith, that it was meritless, that meritless, that it was frivolous. And I don't think the judge is going to do that here. So once it's all said and done, I do not think that Terry Sanderson is going to be on the hook to pay for Gwyneth Paltrow's attorney's fees. How it generally works in personal injury cases around the country is we follow the American rule, which stands for the proposition that you're responsible for your own attorney's fees and mm-hmm. you can't recover your attorney's fees from the other side, even if you win in a personal injury case. I'm glad that you explained all that because I I just assumed that she was going to get her attorney's fees. I have not heard the judge make that announcement yet. I haven't seen any order filed to that effect, but generally Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to do that. And like I said, the judge would have to find that the claim was meritless, that it was frivolous, that it was brought in bad faith. And I don't think that this case reaches that standard. Okay. Um, how about emotional distress damages? Uh, when people ask me uh, that are madder than a wet hen at somebody, they always want emotional distress damages. Um, did he ask for that? Or if he didn't, what would he have to prove in order to um, allege that? So typically in a personal injury case, you're going to have what's called economic damages and non-economic damages. And so economic damages, that's going to be lost wages, loss of future earning capacity, past medical expenses, future medical expenses. Those damages, it's a lot easier to assign a number to them. You could look at what are the outstanding medical bills that's past medical bills. You could have an expert testify about what kind of treatment that the plaintiff is going to have to receive going forward. That's future medical bills and lost wages. They miss work. How much were they making at the time of the incident? How many months or years of work did they miss? Of course, looked like he was retired at the time, so no lost wages here. But when you get to the non-economic damages, the past and future physical pain, the past and future physical impairment, the past and future mental anguish or emotional distress, as other people might call it, those damages are a lot harder to quantify. And some jurors, just in general, struggle with it and don't want to assign a number there. They don't think they can assign a number there. There's no formula for it. It's totally up to the jury's discretion. Of course, the plaintiff's attorney needs to walk the jury through of why these damages are important, because at the end of the day, those are the damages that are going to compensate the plaintiff for what kind of harm they sustained. And so I believe he asked for those damages. Of course, the jury awarded nothing to mm-hmm. him for that. They found him 100% at fault, so he wasn't going to recover a penny anyway, even if they awarded him any amount of money because they found him 100% at fault. But non-economic damages in these personal injury cases that's where a lot of the time the vast majority of the jury verdict comes from those non-economic damages. And when you break four ribs, I think it's pretty easy to convince the jury that there was some physical pain and physical suffering. I mean, we're not talking about any soft tissue injury here. Four broken ribs. People who have broken the ribs know what what's that's like. Mm-hmm. Broken bones in general, it's usually a much easier task to get the jury to award non-economic damages when there's broken bones involved. Well, I would think it would be psychological evidence, right? Have you seen that, Angela, in, in medical records, like from a psychologist or psychiatrist? Yes, uh, definitely going through the, again, going through the medical record and seeing if uh, they have any um, visits with a psychiatrist, you know, if there's any uh, validity to that or anything documented in the record. Um, so definitely combing through those records and finding that so that, uh, you know, you can determine which side, like if it's going to help the defense or plaintiff side. You know, if he had said, I couldn't get out of bed, I was depressed, uh, 
everybody hated me. I I I had to take medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, that would have been a lot better evidence to prove that he had emotional distress. Yes, I mean, just uh, having, again, that expert uh, physician uh, mm-hmm. that's, you know, in that area uh, to uh, speak about that and say, hey, you know, when, you know, I saw this change in him and these, uh, this negative impact, uh, you know, and his behavior or uh, depression or whatnot. Right. So just kind of, again, going through those records. Okay, well, we got to take a, a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the legacy segment, but I also wanted to ask you about how do you find these experts and what is your system for reviewing thousands of pages of medical records? (laughs) So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer, KLUP. Podcasts everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, www.talklawradio.com. Email me if you have questions or if you want me to talk about some hidden legal issue blind spot. And you can reach me at host at talklawradio.com. Angela, before we go to legacy, I wanted to ask you about how you find experts. Okay, sure. Uh, So in my previous job, I did recruitment. And so that kind of has helped me with uh, locating experts. So I do have a network of experts. And if the attorney is needing a specialty, so uh, I had an attorney that needed an ER physician with experience in heat stroke. Uh, and so I just had to go through my experts and uh, see if they had that experience. And then I also make sure that are they currently practicing. Um, I check their license uh, as well. And so I present uh, at least two to three candidates to the attorney for them to do like the final verification on who they want to choose or move forward with. I would imagine that saves the attorney quite a bit of time. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. And how about your system for reviewing medical records? What is that like? So with the medical record, um, I go through, as I'm going through the record, I'm always like taking notes and I always work with the attorney. So it helps if I know um, what, if there's a focus that I'm looking for. So, um, you know, if it's a wound case or uh, just determining, uh, you know, what the focus is. So then I, as I'm reviewing the record, I can uh, look at that. And also as I'm going through the record, I'll identify if there's anything that's missing, uh, any red flags. Uh, so I, I did uh, review a wound care case where uh, the uh, 
the client did not tell the attorney that they were not allowing the nurse to turn them mm-hmm. or relieve pressure. So um, I found multiple instances in the documentation where they were refusing for the nurse to turn them and um, relieve pressure. And so I pointed that out to the attorney. So just so that they have a full picture of, uh, you know, the case, and then they can make the determination. on. You don't want to find out a weakness in the case yes. at trial. Correct. When I know about that ahead of time. Yes. Okay, this is our fourth segment, and you know what that means. And now, it's time for the Talk Law Radio Legacy Spotlight. What's your legacy? Sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm. Okay, Nathan, I wanted to ask you about your legacy, but let me give you some uh, different definitions. Um, In the Bible, back in the olden days, uh, they would do a blessing, and this was kind of like, the ethical expectations for the children or the family. And then more modern uh, definitions uh, come from, I like this, uh, from Mark Landers and and Rob Rose. They said, good players leave behind memories, banners, and trophies. Great players leave behind a culture, values, and standards that that create a sustainable advantage each year. So that reminds me of, like, family values. So, Nathan, when you think about uh, your family, those who have gone before you or those who have impacted your life or the impact that you want to leave, how would you describe legacy in that way? So for me, of course, it comes down to most closely your family and friends, right? The people you interact with the most, what kind of difference can you make in their lives, a positive difference in their lives? I mean, your parents especially have invested so much time and energy into your growth and development as their child. And so, of course, as you grow older, you want to pay it back to them and try to return as much of that investment in you know, their development as they did into you. And so just keeping a close relationship with your parents, just acknowledging how much gratitude you have for everything that they've done with you And that goes to your friends as well, who are a big part of your life, too, who you're spending a lot of time with, just being the best friend that you can to them, to be there when they need you and to help them as much as you can. I love that. It sounds like uh, you live a life of service. That's what I try to do day in and day out, just to make the most positive difference in other people's lives as I possibly can. That's really where I get fulfillment out of my life. Great. I wanted to give you an opportunity to let the public know how to contact you if they have questions about an injury they may have suffered. So I recently started my own firm, Surprise Law Firm. It's still a small operation right now, but have had some momentum since I started just last month in March. And so you can easily find me on LinkedIn. If you just type in Nathan Surprise on LinkedIn, you'll see my LinkedIn page. I'll have a website up here pretty soon, surpriselaw.com. You can find me on the Texas State Bar's website under attorney search just type in nathan surprise my last name is surprise just like the word it's pretty easy to find me Mm -hmm. and my number will be there feel free to call me always happy to talk about any personal injury issues you have and help however i can and it should be easy to remember (laughs) that's true i never met anyone named surprise Hmm. yeah me either okay uh angela same for you if some attorney's needed to find a, an easy way to uh, reduce time and expense of analyzing medical records or finding experts, how should they find you? Uh, they can email me. Uh, my email is anbarker at covenantlnc.com. Okay, covenant like the promise? Yes. Okay. 
So we we talked about legacy. Let's go back to what we learned in this case. What do you think we learned from uh, Terry Sanderson, the optometrist? Go, Nathan. What I would say, and Angela talked about this, and you did as well, is that if you're a plaintiff in a personal injury lawsuit, your life is going to be looked into very closely. And so if you post stuff on social media, that could come back to haunt you in the trial that you may eventually have. And so as we saw with Terry Sanderson, after the incident, he vacationed all over the world and multiple continents, doing all sorts of physical activities. And uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's attorney successfully went through all those different posts, got him to admit to taking all of them, explained what he was doing at every given point in time in all those different vacations. And I feel like that really undermined his credibility as a witness. I thought it was remarkable that uh, he had an attorney to take this all the way to trial. You know, he had a lot of weaknesses in the case. Mm-hmm. But maybe they were betting on um, uh, some type of backlash against Gwyneth Paltrow because of her perceived wealth. Think those were issues? Yeah, so Terry Sanderson's attorney, he was going to pay them a contingency fee, I believe. That's how it pretty much is almost every single time in a plaintiff's personal injury lawsuit, which means that Terry Sanderson's attorneys only get paid if they get a successful recovery for him. And of course, they weren't able to do that here. And so Terry Sanderson probably didn't have to pay them anything out of pocket for any of the attorney's fees or expenses incurred. His attorneys bore that entire risk. But yes, like you said, they thought maybe they could have gotten a settlement. But then things did not go that way, so they had to try the case. And for the most part, if I have a case, if I'm not able to get the settlement, I'm with the client until the very end. I'm going to try the case. I'm going to do everything I can to get a recovery from the client. Well, see, I I thought the opposite. I thought that uh, he probably went to their office, told them all about his case, and they said, well, sometimes we take cases on contingency but your case were not. <laughs> You're going to have to pay us for every hour of time uh, to take a case like this. That's what I was thinking. That may be the case, but in almost every personal injury case, it's a contingency fee basis. Mm-hmm. And so let's say hypothetically that I know he was asking for about 300000 but let's just say it's a million to make the numbers easier. How that would work is that if they were able to get a million dollar recovery, for example, his attorneys would get a 40%, 45%, maybe even 48% uh, cut in attorney's fees from their overall verdict. And so that's a lot of money, much more than may have been billed by hourly, but it just depends okay. on each case. So they may have thought it was worth the risk. Exactly. Okay. Angela, what lessons do you think that we can learn from Gwyneth Paltrow, her side of the case? So I think it, it all came down to the experts, you know, hiring those experts, uh, like the like Nathan had said, that biomechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, so he explained it so well, and he was just kind of going through, like, um, how the injury could have occurred, and physics backed up his, uh, you know, the version that Gwyneth um, portrayed, and just going down to the medical record and looking at, uh, you know, when he's claiming certain injuries, you know, does the medical record uh, back that up? Mm-hmm. And so I think she, you know, she had more, um, you know, experts in her side. Yeah, and what impresses me about that is that you need money to have a good defense. Mm -hmm. And even if that's not right, you know, justice shouldn't be based on how much money you have. If that's the way things are, it might be a prudent thing to save up money just in case somebody comes after you, even if it's a frivolous thing. And so I want to go back to 
um, a little bit of something that might help us uh, in our ordinary lives is be an ordinary, prudent person. I know what you're thinking. What are you talking about? Those are strange, archaic words. I'll say it again. Be a prudent person. People often ask me how to protect and preserve their assets. One way for you to protect and preserve your assets is to be an ordinary, prudent person like Elrond from Lord of the Rings, Fire Marshal Bill from In Living Color, or Disney's Jiminy Cricket. The opposite of the ordinary, prudent person is the negligent person, like Disney's Goofy, always causing accidents. So you heard it here on Talk Law Radio about being a prudent person. I wanted to define that a little bit. CollinsDictionary.com defines prudence as care, caution, and good judgment, as well as wisdom in looking ahead. An ordinary care would mean that degree of care that would be used by a person of ordinary prudence under the same or similar circumstances. So you can protect yourself from lawsuits by being an ordinary, reasonable, prudent person, and you won't have to pay money damages for harm proximately caused by unreasonably imprudent behavior. Nathan, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I think that's very well put. I mean, over the course of your life, you may be driving a car and you want to be as prudent and reasonable as possible so that doesn't come back to bite you whether you're the plaintiff or the defendant. I mean, as we saw in these cases, there's comparative fault. And so even if the other driver is 85% responsible, if you're 15% responsible, that ultimately can reduce whatever recovery you may have in a case. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was nice talking with you all. Angela, thank you for joining me again. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Next week, April 15th, the Honorable Judge Ron Rangel will join me to talk about the need for a reliable and effective criminal justice system and how our robust system of checks and balances gets complicated. We will discuss the typical cast of characters in the justice system at the district court level. And so I'll see you next week or I'll talk to you later. Plan your summer vacation because you want to make sure everything goes right, right? But have you planned for your estate? Why would you spend time and money planning your vacation but neglect your final affairs? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but you can make sure everything goes right by planning for your death and taxes. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm can help. They can focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. Call 210-530-4278, 210-530-4278, or marquardtlawfirm.com.